Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. My name is Sylvie, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to Mountain Province Diamond's Q2 2020 results conference call. Note that all lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. And if you would like to withdraw your question, please press star followed by two. Thank you. Mr. Stuart Brown, you may now begin the conference. Thank you very much, Sylvie. Uh, good morning and good afternoon to everyone. Uh, welcome to our Q2 and half year uh, Mountain Province um, update call. As usual, I'll start off, I'll cover production and cover a bit of guidance and the overall um, premise of what we're trying to achieve. I'll then hand over to Perry, who will take us through the financial highlights in a broad scale. In return to me, I'll deal with market and um, what our future plans are, and then we'll turn it over very briefly to some questions. So without further ado, I'd just like to touch on a very basic point right up front. As we know, there's some forward-looking statements being made today, so please take note of the cautionary statement regarding all of this information. This included in the presentation um, on, should be on display for those of you who've got the access to the webcast. And also, there are some references that might be made to non-IFRS financial reporting measures today. So before I get into the actual production highlights, just I think just a bit of context. Everything we say today and everything we measure against should be obviously taken in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, it has had an extraordinary effect on our whole industry and obviously even more directly on us, and that's the focus of what we're trying to cover today. We entered into 2020 in what I felt was a very strong position. We had a great stock balance, we had our costs under control, we knew where we were mining, and we had good expectations per our first two sales of, of diamond um, production going through the pipeline and generating cash. And obviously everyone knows what's happened, so I won't belabor the point and we won't be prefacing or every point we make with COVID-19. What we have done is we, we assessed our options very early on. Um, we looked at potential options around closure of mine, mothballing the mine, um, and discovered which options were best for us, looking at a number of cash flow outcomes. And, and Perry will touch on some of the financial um, steps that we took to, to alleviate our cash position. But what we are doing is we're planning forward in a very difficult future. So we anticipate, or we anticipated a very uh, difficult futures. We didn't understand the full impact or how big this um, challenge would be. What has happened, if I turn to the production highlights and if we look at the comps, is obviously negative variances. But if I put that into context, our tons treated are only marginally down on, on Q2 last year if we compare Q2 20 to 2019. We've made use of the stockpile, which is precisely why it's there, to allow us to, to get the tonnage that we, we weren't able to source from the, the pits that we were mining. The biggest impact, as we've tried to explain on some of our announcements, is 
In taking the avoidance measures, we had to reduce our personnel on site. We had some high-risk people, um, and for various reasons, so we sent them home on furlough, and it left a shortage of crews, and our mine stripping has suffered, which has then obviously reduced our access to the ore tons that we need to put through the plant. So balancing all of that, we've had a slightly different mixture, not our preferable mine plan. But overall, if I look at the H1 versus H1 last year, or Q2 versus Q2 this year, I'm relatively pleased that the tons treated is very close. Um, our grade is almost spot on. We would have liked it to have been a bit higher um, due to some of the tonnage that we had to give up and, and go back for low or, or lower quality tonnage. It was more influenced by waste um, and low grade areas. So taking all of that into consideration to end up the year on just under 1.6 million carats in total, I'm very pleased about that. Given that we're not selling those on the open market, um, it, it's very hard to then compare whether that's financially uh, been to your benefit. But if we look at the pure production, I think everything that we've done on site to achieve what we can achieve and maintain production and is, is been very good. This then flows into the guidance uh, page where we are anticipating that we will be down on the total ore and waste tons mined, um, probably around between 37 and 38 million from our original target. So it's going to be pretty hard to, uh, to outperform that target. Um, we did have a lot of intervention to try and do that. We're now back up to full crews, got full complement. All the equipment has been maintained during the downtime. So we're back to full scale on all the trucks and shovels and drills. So we should start seeing a better second half because we're now in the, also the good weather window. So we should be making use of that, and, and that's the plan. We reduced our carrots recovered and our autumn stayed pretty much similar, but the grade impact has um, had to be factored in. So that's why we reduced the carrots. Um, and I'll, I'll leave Perry to talk about the costs of tons and cash cost per carat because he will address that in a broad sense. So in conclusion, if I look at production, we've utilized our stockpile, we've maintained our tons treated. Uh, we, we're confident we'll get the balance of the tons treated through this year to meet our, our guidance targets. We, we hope we would like to outperform ourselves on the carrots, but you know that we haven't got full control over as we got to unfold the next six months of the year. And in conclusion, something that is probably very important to all of us on site um, and something we don't make a big enough fuss about is that we're now in our 674th day without a lost time injury. So I think despite all of the challenges that we've had, and they've been enormous on mine with different shift patterns, longer working cycles, the sacrifices that our employees and contractors have made have been very beneficial to us. Um, and I'm very pleased that we, we're maintaining such a, a good discipline on mine. Uh, that's always very helpful, especially when it comes to our product. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Perry. He'll cover, take us through the financial information. Sure. Thanks, Stuart. And um, obviously, given the impact of COVID uh, to our results during the quarter, um, I don't think it you know makes sense to go through everything line by line. So what I'm going to try to do is just touch on kind of the financial highlights um, and where we stand in terms of liquidity and you know uh, potential paths going forward, uh, and then return it to Stuart. 
so just looking briefly at our financial highlights, uh, we reported revenue uh, for the quarter of Canadian uh, $34 million, which was obviously down uh, significantly from $96 million in the same period in uh, 2019. That resulted in a net loss of uh, $27 million Canadian, or $0.13 cents a share. And uh, for the first half of 2020, uh, our loss was uh, $68 million. Um, also included in our results uh, was uh, inventory uh, adjustments uh, in the current quarter of $17 million. So we, we basically wrote it down to uh, you know the potential market value at June 30th. It's very difficult, you know, with uh, diamond markets uh, not trading actively um, to value inventory accurately. But obviously, uh, based on you know the uh, market conditions that we were aware of, uh, you know, we factored in a mark-to-market adjustments, uh, which resulted in, in that $17 million uh, adjustment. Uh, also impacting us during the quarter was the uh, appreciation of the Canadian dollar uh, from about uh, 141 at the end of March to 136 at the end of June. That just resulted in primarily an unrealized gain uh, re resulting from the translation of our bonds. Um, so just looking at our liquidity position, um, we ended the quarter with $17 million in cash compared to $32 million at the end of the first quarter. Uh, in between the end, the end of the first quarter and the end of the second quarter, we drew down uh, $25 million US uh, from our resolving facility, as we discussed previously. That provided us uh, the initial liquidity uh, we needed given the cancellation of our normal tender sales in Antwerp. And then the second action was to enter into the uh, Doombridge sales agreement uh, for up to $50 million uh, worth of diamonds uh, to a related party. So, I, you know, given given the options available to the company at the time, we thought this was the uh, transaction that made the most sense to provide uh, immediate liquidity, as well as allowing the company to participate uh, in the future upside. Uh, potentially when those diamonds are are uh, sold. So um, as of the, during the quarter, I believe we uh, transacted about uh, $23 million uh, under that agreement. Uh, and then subsequent to the end of the quarter, uh, we sold about another 20, uh, about another $20 million. And then we have um, about seven to eight million remaining, which uh, we should conclude um, before the end of the month. So essentially, um, we'll have concluded uh, the full $50 million agreed amount with Doombridge uh, by the end of August uh, uh, based on current uh, uh, production plans and uh, export timelines. So, so from a cash standpoint, you know, we have sufficient cash Right now, we're current on all our payables with the beers and our normal vendors. Uh, we do need, uh, you know, further liquidity. Um, Stuart will talk about uh, the market uh, and our anticipated uh, resumption of sales uh, in Antwerp. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you know, obviously we will we will need uh, a financing solution uh, that is um, uh, agreeable with our lenders. 
uh, on a timely basis, which uh, we're currently evaluating the options on, and which, uh, you know, uh, when uh, we have something definitive, then we'll obviously uh, inform the market. Um, just in terms of a couple of other things to touch on, Stuart uh, talked about the cost the cost and cost-saving uh, measures that uh, um, we're undertaking. So just, just looking briefly high-level at uh, cash costs during the quarter, uh, they were slightly elevated. Uh, if you look at our cash cost per ton, uh, it was $125 per ton uh, versus $106 uh, in the same quarter in 2019. If you look at the denominator, uh, we processed about 11% uh, uh, less tonnage. Um, compare year over year, and then the remaining incremental costs were I, I would attribute to a mix of one-time costs relating to COVID, uh, as well as uh, being in a high uh, stripping phase of the Hearn pit. Um, so uh, in terms of our overall guidance, we do expect uh, you know, to still be in that $100 to $110 per ton created range for the full year. And hopefully, you know, as we work with the beers on cost-saving initiatives, we can be at, at, at the lower end of that range. Um, and I think, uh, you know, with that, I think I'll, I'll turn the presentation back to Stuart. Thanks very much, Perry. Uh, so I'd like to touch on sort of the broad aspects of the market and the industry itself, not specifically just related to the diamond retail or anything. I think if we address the market, it is extremely easy to get very down when looking at all aspects of the sector. I mean, it's just full of negative headlines, no one selling, retail not doing well, China bouncing back. You've got you to look through all of this noise, which is what I'll attempt to do today very briefly to give us uh, the conclusion as to why we think um, we think it's appropriate to contemplate resuming our sales. Um, retail if we just address that, obviously the, the shock to the system was everything closing down, lockdowns, global trade ceasing, you know, travel, people not moving around. Um, and now you're seeing those reports come out as you know, people are reporting on the quarterly information. Where China has been ahead of us um, in, in experiencing this crisis and now coming out of it, we're seeing on the comps that they are trading well, their, their levels are returning and their volumes are trading well. Similarly, in the U.S., the states is now opening up in many areas. They, people are changing their sales patterns and methods. They've got um, more popularity with the single stores, which we would brand the mom-and-pop stores rather than the, the mall stores, where traffic hasn't yet fully picked up. We are seeing sales on the comp basis, you know, June to June last year to this year, not too bad. Um, and we're seeing people, you know, coming back. What, you do need to understand that is in globally in the retail perspective, this is not a big selling season. There is no fundamental reason to go out and, and buy diamonds. There's no events really other than normal engagements, normal weddings and things that are happening. So everything's been affected like that um, can drag you down. But we are seeing sales um, slowly pick up. Um, I think this gives us confidence that uh, the product itself is still in demand. People are realizing that they do want to celebrate um, with, with emotional purchases and meaningful purchases. So I think we're in the quiet season, and if I continue with retail window, I expect that to really pick up. Well, obviously, it's traditionally in the, the sort of the middle of Q4 to uh, the middle of Q1, and I see no reason why that will not um, continue to, to be the case. We are seeing a lot more stimulated marketing and reaction to that. If I turn to the producers, and I took 
all of us in that basket. No one is selling in a sustained way from the majors to to the independents. Everyone is having to adapt and find some way to, to get around this. doesn't matter if you're De Beers, Al Rosso, Rio, you can look at all the headlines. Al Rosso negotiating with the Gokran, which is to sell them stock. So we're all looking for liquidity. So I think the deal that we did with Junebridge, after having looked at all options out there, and there are various people that are willing to buy diamonds on various bases. I think the, the idea of selling to someone and having a future participation allowed us the liquidity, and we're no different to any other company um, doing that. Obviously, the manufacturing side of diamonds has also been slowing down um, due to all the COVID issues in India where all the manufacturing gets done, but we are seeing you know, some demand in certain categories um, of RAF as the retail is continuing, so we are seeing pipelines um, shrink. We're not seeing rough being pushed into the pipeline. The majors have not been selling um, on a willing buyer, willing, sale, willing seller only basis, so that's been very positive. We haven't been in the market, so our goods aren't on there. Uh, many other independent producers have not been in the market. But where we have seen people go and sell their diamonds, and we obviously got access to information in terms of you know, hearing about the sales um, through public forums and other information as people discuss these things, we're seeing very keen attendance. Um, we are seeing price down around about, on average, um, let's say pre-COVID to now, around 20%. Um, some categories slightly more and some categories slightly less. There are sectors of production in the higher qualities, um, some of the larger goods and sort of in the, in the middle tier goods, also quite highly in demand because there's very limited supply of that with, with nothing coming onto the market. So the limited supply and limited manufacturing is helping shrink the, that polished pipeline and retail will continue to grow, but we still have to get through that phase. Um, a lot of other Mining houses have also held back on production, so that's also going to help us in the medium term to long term. So based on all of that, we've been out of the market on a structured basis. Our last sale was in February, so these are March, April, May, June, July, and August. Um, and we think that given this stability in polished prices, we're seeing some slight increases in certain categories on polished, and we're seeing further demand in certain areas of the rough, not in all sectors, but you know, the longer this goes on, the more we'll see there will be some categories that we need to supply to the market. Uh, and we've taken the decision that Reed will be, you know, taking our goods to market in September in our normal structured way in Antwerp. And that's after the European summer holidays. Uh, we retain the flexibility in our sales method. We, we, we don't have to sell everything if we're not attuned to the price. And I think that that's market related. Obviously, the biggest thing that we're looking at is liquidity right now. We have to get through this whole cycle, and there's two ways that we need to do this. We need to ensure that we can get liquidity through selling our, our product. As Perry said, we're about to complete the Junebridge 50 million. We'll do that by the end of the month. And then we're reliant on the market, and as some observers have said, that's what we're dependent on. In the background, and we don't refer to it, but we are working on, we have a solution. Um, to our funding liquidity. We've had support from the banks. We know where they stand, and we're working to complete that before the end of September. Uh, we've still got a few things that we're doing, so we're not able to come up and finalize that in the market space yet, but the solution we have, or the potential solutions, we're still working on those, and they're progressing well. So where we stand right now is 
incredibly difficult industry. Please don't get too sidetracked by all the noise I'm doing that. That is just reporting on what's happened. The future does look a lot brighter. We are seeing retail move. We are seeing stock move. Albeit we do need to see better price, but you know, you've got to start somewhere as we, as we come out of this. The retail trade has not come to a complete standstill, so I think our product is still in demand. The mine is running well and it's not getting back up to full steam having come through this crisis. We've adapted the way we worked. We're looking at further cost-saving initiatives, working together with De Beers that we'll work on for the rest of the year to try and put us in a stronger position in 2021 and for the remainder of this year. We'll come back to the market as soon as we can with um, our financing solution which we think is going to be favorably received. And uh, we look forward to updating you um, in the next quarter, where hopefully we have some better news and you know the world is in a, in a more comfortable place as it works through this. So with that, I'll turn over to some questions that I set up front. I think we've covered a lot of these things, so we'll take a few questions and then leave you to contemplate um, how the rest of the day works. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, if you do have any questions at this time, please press star followed by 1 on your touchtone phone. You will then hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging a your request. And should you wish to withdraw your question, simply press star followed by 2. And if you're using a speakerphone, we ask that you please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Please go ahead and press star 1 now if you have any questions. And your first question will be from Edward Sterk at BMO. Please go ahead. Um, good morning, gentlemen. So I've got uh, three questions, I think, at the moment. Um, the first one is just on the waste stripping profile. Obviously, due to um, you know the need to physically distance people on site um, and focus on current production, there was a scaling back of the waste stripping. Should we expect a corresponding increase in waste stripping in 2021? No, Ed, we, we, we're working on a couple of things to address that. We can't just lump the extra 5 million tons on top of the, I think it's about 42-odd that we need to do next year. We, we don't go much about 42. So what we're doing right now is reworking the plan, scaling back on certain areas um, and putting that over a longer term. We don't have a pension or source for 21 or 22. It becomes more of an issue in 23 and 24. So we've got more time to address that backlog. And the other thing we're doing is we're revisiting the slope angle, Perry just reminded me, um, slope angle for various uh, aspects of the pit, which we think will reduce the, the need to strip the original volumes of ore. So we're kind of working on a complete new mine plan with more aggressive slope angles and doing the geotechnical approvals on that right now. So that's something that we focus on. So no, we're not putting Whatever the deficit this year, we don't just lump onto next year. It has to be done properly. But it's not going to affect our tons treated volumes and our oil produced after pits. Thank you. Thank you, Stuart. And then just a couple of questions on, on for Perry, probably. Just um, the diamonds sold to Dunebridge, from an accounting perspective, how, how will those be treated? Because obviously there's still a, an economic interest, you know, theoretically, assuming diamond prices hopefully recover. Um, and then the second one is just an update on um, negotiations around the working capital facility. Sure, thanks, Ed. Uh, in terms of the Doombridge, yes, uh, you're correct. We do retain the upside. We haven't accounted for any upside given uh, uh, 
um, you know, Doombridge is in full control of the diamonds and when they sell them. Uh, if there is uh, uh, uplift versus the purchase prices from us, then, then certainly we'll participate and record that, um, you know, when it happens. But uh, in terms of uh, the balance sheet, uh, we have not uh, factored in uh, any, you know, accruals for any potential upside. Uh, and I think in terms of uh, the discussions uh, on working capital, I think Stuart's pretty much outlined that. We're working closely uh, with our lenders, uh, Scotia and MedBank. Um, we have regular communications with them. Uh, they're very professional. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, until we have the solution we can announce at hand, we obviously can't, can't say any more right now, but uh, the relationship has been good and uh, we appreciate the flexibility that's been demonstrated. Wonderful. Thank you both. Thank you. Next question will be from Scott McDonald at Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my question. Uh, I just have a couple about uh, the planned September sale and um, a little bit more on the, the balance sheet. Um, so as far as the September sale goes, are you going to try to sort of catch up on your accumulated uh, stockpile of uh, inventory, or will it be, do you anticipate the volume of carrots you're selling will be kind of similar to what your normal sales have been in the past? Yeah, Scott, so on that one, we'll, we'll have a, a normal volume, slightly higher than we would have at probably this time of the year, but it, it, it's not going to be extraordinarily large. We obviously sold quite a lot of carrots. To um, to Junebridge, so we, we although we've got sufficient volume, we, we're looking at flexibility around that. So I don't want to give the numbers away because again, in our selling method, we um, like to keep the the buyers honest. Okay, and uh, now I, I know, uh, yeah, without getting into too much detail, but d directionally, should we expect? the average prices in Q3 should be better than Q2, just, just from uh, obviously Q2 was impacted by a lower quality mix. Is it fair to assume that the prices should be directionally upward? I think in the sale, in, let's say call them Q4 sales, um, yes, we would. We, we haven't had any financials come through at all, Scott. That's the one category of goods we haven't been able to get out of Yellowknife due to all of the COVID issues because that valuation and split method is a lot more complex and it requires people to get into Yellowknife, which we haven't been able to achieve um, safely with the protocols. So we've got quite a, a large accumulation of all of our fancies and specials up there and we've just agreed with the beers on the next, the way forward and how to get those out. So we would hope to get our first bids against um, De Beers or with De Beers sorted by September and depending on how those goes, they'll either get sold in September or later in the year. So we would expect our future sales to have a higher average value. We, we haven't had any fancies and specials in the sale process. Okay. Okay, that's, that's helpful. Thank you. And uh, just on the balance sheet, um, again, without getting into too much detail, as I know you're uh, Discussions are ongoing, but do you expect your your financing solution would be um, likely a replacement of the revolver with with another similar 
debt instrument, or could it be? Are you are you considering other options that are not debt? Yeah, I mean, uh, we are we're looking at a full range of options. So uh, again, Scott, we'd like to give you more details in terms of our thinking, but uh, it would be premature at this stage to uh, to steer you in one direction versus another. Okay, fair enough. Um, then uh, we've got a number. Of, yeah, we look at. Um. Just sort of on a more philosophical or, long, or or longer term basis, um, do, you, do you think the, your total level of debt leverage uh, as it stands today is, is sustainable, or is that something you might look to adjust in your capital structure at some point going forward, um, perhaps not with this upcoming transaction, but uh, in, on a longer term basis? Yeah. So. That's a very fair question, Scott. I think it's, we're acutely aware of the size of the debt um, that we have in the U.S. dollar bond, um, which is sitting at about 300 million, just under, I think. Um, I think our approach there is it's part of all of our solution that we're looking at. Um, that's why we, we're still considering a number of options. I think on the timing perspective of that, you know, we want to be able to be in a position of really understanding the future cash flow, looking at the plans, looking at the world to see the best way forward. So we're kind of following these things sequentially. We bought ourselves time by paying the bond interest in June, um, as you recall. And now we've got, you know, quite a lengthy period between now and the end of the year when we can look at all of the options and we hope to have the first part of the solution out pretty soon. And then we'll address that. So we're always looking at the level of bond, but it it depends on how the world looks as well. So, again, we'll be a little bit more wiser in a couple of weeks' time and another month's time, hopefully wiser after that. So it's not – everything's on the table, Scott. We look at all options all the time and come up with the best the outcome, what's the art of the possible. Okay, great. Uh, thanks for that color. Uh, that, that's very helpful. Uh, that, that's it for my questions. Thank you very much, and uh, good luck. Thank you. Next question will be from thanks, Daniel McConvey. I'm sorry. Please go ahead, Daniel. Okay. Good morning, Stuart. Everyone. Um, just on on that note, it's an obvious. It's a, I'm sure it's an obvious answer. But when you, it sounds like your optimism level has gone from um, troubled uh, this two conference calls ago to improved last conference call for the, for the first quarter, and now it sounds like you have solutions in sight. Just is the is the optimism uh, relative optimism? I'll temper that is all from a shareholder perspective, correct? I think that's hello. <laughs> so two calls ago, we were just getting hit with all of these things. So Dan, right. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so I can two hear. Calls ago, yeah, two calls ago, we were just starting this. We didn't know how big it was, um, and last call we were still. You know, I guess in the middle of the storm, and I don't think we're out of it yet, but we know a lot more now about how the world's looking. We've got a lot more things to hang our hat on. We, as I said in my address to you, we, we're burning through the noise. You know, the beers didn't sell. Well, that's a deliberate strategy. They've come out and said, why are they not selling? They want to maintain price. They, you know, all of those things we, we put together, that's our job. So am I more optimistic? Yes. Um, could I be wrong? Well, everything... You know, it can still work out differently, but with the knowledge we have and the confidence that we have and the people that we're talking to, 
Our view of the world is that we, we've got a little bit more cause for optimism. We're seeing sales take place. Um, so stock is moving. People are interested in our product. We've had sales that have taken place where the independents have been well attended. We need better price uh, and time will come through. We've got much more reduced production in the future outlook with mines closing, mines that have closed down already and probably won't reopen for a considerable amount of time. We'll have reduced supply and the consumer still sounds like they want to buy our goods. We're seeing turnover numbers come out of areas. So that I think fuels my optimism and having been in this industry for long enough to know that it's not gonna just close overnight. Is it difficult? Yes. Are we trying to find solutions? Yes. Are we talking to people that are willing to support us? Uh, we are. We haven't finalized all of those conversations and we're looking at as much flexibility as possible and we'll come to the right outcome. The one thing we didn't do was panic. You know, I think the, the June Bridge sale was a, you know, at a time where no one could sell a diamond. Our, our major shareholders stepped up and we negotiated, I think, a very good deal. Just to clarify on Edson, we don't have any downside. So that sale goes through accounting-wise. We have only upside. So at least we know our bottom line. And you know, we did that deal. We think we've done it at a very fair price at market related to the best of our ability to establish that. Um, and any recovery coming back. Go back to the 7th of April. I was actually just measuring something this morning. I mean, stocks have come back on the, you know, all the major exchanges in the world you know, magnificently. That doesn't mean to say the fundamentals for doing that are, could be sound, but it's since April to now, it's markedly different. If you'd sold in April and you were sitting in, you'd be booking a huge loss. If you hadn't sold, you're back, you know, nearly back to where you were. So I think we need to be optimistic. It's no good walking around with your head in your hands all the time going, the world's come to an end. We've got to move forward and that's what the management team's doing, you know, along with the De Beers team to ensure our product comes out the ground and we re we're ready to sell it when we, we, we can find alternatives if we can't. That's the nature of what we're supposed to do. Okay, great. Um, are you, if you were to sell uh, a, a small stake of your share of Guachacuay, let's say, you know, 10% of what you have, would that be would that is that a, is that a possibility under your lending agreement? I'm sure you could probably restructure it so you could do anything, but is that something that would be allowed from a debt perspective? I think all options would be there. It comes down to price. We could sell 10% for a billion dollars, and I think everyone would be more than happy. But I mean, you've got to deal with realistic um, outcomes. So we would look at all of those things. Yeah. Everything's on price, Daniel. Yeah, we would look at those kinds of things if it made commercial sense. Um, you know. So yeah, but that's not something we're focusing on right now. We've got, I think, we've got better solutions than that. Okay, great. Thank, Thank you very much. Like, I no, one more question, I think, if we've got. Certainly. And your last question you. will be from Paul Zemiski at PZDA. Please go ahead, Paul. Hi, guys. Um, I, I guess as far as the timing of the resumption of traditional tenders, you know, you said you're aiming for September. Is this based more on what you're seeing from a demand standpoint, or does it have to do more with, you know, a progression in international travel measures? I think, Paul, you know, if I cast my mind back to how the sales work, you know, August was, you know, European holidays. 
it's the last stage where people can pick up goods after that to go get in the manufacturing process ready for the you know getting out into the wholesale retail markets ready for the let's say the Thanksgiving onwards and now that extends into Chinese New Year. So our confidence around September is that we've been out for six months. Um, we've seen a few other people sell. We've seen good attendances prior to August. Um, so we think it's worth having a look. We, we've engaged with various people to, to look at that. Um, and we've got a product that we've got people that are phoning us up and asking for that. We've done a few small sales in certain categories of goods, so we know there's demand and in certain areas, and we'll have a look. We're not, that's why we're not going with a big, huge volume and pinning all our hopes on it, but we're going with a meaningful sale. So I think it's basically the market. Um, fundamentals of, you know, a lot of supply hasn't gone on. Is there any manufacturing? But there are pieces, places in the world that want our stock. So that, that led to our decision around that. I think we're sort of selling by the middle of September or the third week we'll complete the sale. Uh, you know, and again, a lot can happen between now and, and September. So we've got full flexibility, as I said. So we're not just pitching up there hoping it works. We, we did do a bit of thinking around it. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this is all the time allotted for questions today. I would like to turn the call back over to Mr. Brown. Okay, well, thanks very much. So I think that was um, just, under, just under 40 minutes. So. We will be updating you in the market, I think, before the next call, as we have to find the solutions by then, and, and as I said, we're working on those. Um, hopefully the world is a bit more cheerful, maybe matches my mood a little bit, and we look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you very much, everyone. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, this does indeed conclude your conference call for today. Once again, thank you for attending, and at this time, we do ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.